I would ask everybody to turn in their Bible to Ezra chapter 6. Ezra chapter 6. While you are turning there this morning, um, many of you have heard of Larry the Cable Guy. Uh, he uh, is a comedian. Uh, well, this is not an endorsement of him or his material. He did have a phrase that went viral. And he, uh, he used to say, get her done. And that became very popular, so popular, the military adapted that as their mantra, that we're going to go in and get her done. And so we are excited about uh, looking at that today uh, as we look at the temple where they actually get it done. And so we're going to pick up in verse uh, 13 of chapter 6 uh, and go through verse 22. Then Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, Shetar, Bozani, and their colleagues carried out the decree with all diligence, just as King Darius had sent. And the elders of the Jews were successful in building through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Edo, and they finished building according to the command of God, of, of the God of Israel. And the decree of Cyrus Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. This temple was completed on the third day of the month of Adar. It was the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. And the sons of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered for the dedication of this temple of God 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and as a sin offering for all of Israel. For all Israel, twelve male goats corresponding to the number of the tribes of Israel. Then they appointed the priests and their to their divisions, and the Levites to their orders, and the service for the service of God in Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. The exiles observed the Passover on the fourteenth of the first month, for the priests of the Levites had purified themselves together, all of them were pure. Then they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the exiles, both for their brothers, the priests, and for themselves, the son of Israel who returned from exile and all those who had separated themselves from the impurity of the nations of the land to join them to seek the Lord God of Israel, ate the Passover. And they observed the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. The Lord had caused them to rejoice. And they had turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to encourage them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the work that you did in Israel and for what you do in our lives. And so, Father, we ask right now that you'll speak to each and every one of us. And, Father, we know that your word knows no time or space bounds, that it reaches you reach into the heart of your people as your word is spoken. And so, Father, we look to hear from you, all of us, this morning. In, in a time of uh, great difficulty in this, in this nation, in this country, Father, we ask that you will steady the hand of our leaders, that you will give us uh, a reasonable mind, and that we will respond appropriately with hope and compassion 
and ministry to those who are living in fear. And Father, for we know the spirit of fear does not come from you. And so we are, we are blessed to gather virtually this morning in your name. And so, Father, and we shall go in your name as we stand for you. And Father, thank you for uh, loving your people, loving us, and giving us this opportunity to continue worshiping together with the, with the people we love, who you've called us to be a part of. And so we ask that you will uh, uh, be clear with us this morning. And Father, I pray that we'll obey as you lead. Thank you for what you're doing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this morning, as we look at Get Her Done, we are going to see their obedience. We're going to see the temple's function. And then we're going to see their celebration or their thanksgiving. And so when we think about the obedience of Israel, the enemies of Israel, they obey Darius's decree. They obeyed it. Uh, they went back and, and the people of Israel also, also obeyed God and they finished rebuilding the temple. Now this was quite a change for the enemies of Israel because up until that point, they've been looking for a reason to stop Israel, to stop the building of the temple. They were fearing for their own lives. They were fearing that they would not, uh, that they would lose control of the land. And so they had moved from fear to faith, or they had moved at least to the place of obedience uh, to the king. And so the, the rebuilding of the temple took place during the prophesied ministry of both Haggai and Zechariah. And so as God had used Ezra to get her done, he had used these prophets to speak a word to the heart of the people. Now it's really interesting as you go back and read uh, those books, you see the same kings, you see the same players, you see the same people coming together, but they're speaking to the heart of the people in ministry and, and those things. And wouldn't it be interesting to follow up Ezra with maybe one of those books and see what was going on in the hearts of the people at the same time. And so they finished uh, building according to the command of God and the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes. They obeyed God and those who God had put in authority over them. So often we think that those in authority over us are in uh, opposition to God. But, but what God tells us is that He has placed them there, and as we are in obedience to them, that is obedience to Him. And so they were following them as well, and that is full obedience. That is full obedience. They complete the temple uh, in Adar, Adar third, the third day of Adar, in the sixth year of Darius's reign. Now Darius reigned a total of thirty-six years, so he had he reigned thirty years after the temple was complete, and so we see the uh, the obedience that took place in not only. Israel, also the enemies of Israel, and what an example that is when, when God is up to something. And so they get the temple built. Uh, Adar, and we're going to learn a little bit about this later, Adar, it would be equivalent to our December. So it was the last, it was the last month of the Jewish calendar. The temp, then we uh, 
so now that they've rebuilt the temple, they have this place of worship, they have this place restored that God had called them to rebuild, they go and they dedicate the temple. It was a lot of work, but the sons of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the rest of the exiles celebrated with joy the dedication of the temple. Can you imagine what it must have been like to have started this work, to face opposition, to have to stop the work knowing that's what you were called to, and then to restart the work under Darius and have this completed. To come in and celebrate that together must have been an incredible joy. Imagine the emotional and physical relief it was to have it done. And so it was an exciting time. The key word here is joy. We know that joy and happiness are different. Happiness is dependent on our circumstances. There's things that make us happy and there's things that make us unhappy. But joy is different. Joy comes from the Lord and what it's like to be in the center of His will, knowing regardless of the circumstances. The circumstances don't affect our joy. Only our relationship with the Lord and our confidence in Him is where our joy comes from. And so uh, these guys, these folks here, they saw it, they had an inner peace and contentment that God was in control, and they had witnessed it firsthand. They saw it for themselves. And what a cool thing. That's what happens when we obey God. When we obey God and follow Him and do what He asks us to do, we will get to see it firsthand what God is up to. And we'll get to be a part of it. And we'll sit there in that moment and know that God has moved. And that's what we're after in our lives. We're not after something that we built where we can say, oh, we did it, we've done it, and you know, you know, God bless it, but we want to be in a situation where God has done it. And so that's an exciting time. So they restarted the sacrifices for both the temple dedication, and so as they're dedicating the temple, they're offering sacrifices for that, but they also offered sacrifices for sins, which is somewhat puzzling because they had been they had been there, but they'd spent several years there. They had the sins uh, that they had committed during that time, but also the sin that caused them to go into exile. Because from that point, they did not have a temple that they could offer sacrifice in. So we see them offering to cleanse the nation. Back then, uh, there was a sin offering that was offered in behalf of the entire nation, and that covered their sin. Now, Jesus Christ has not just covered our sin, He's actually removed our sin. And that's the difference. And so um, they were offering uh, sacrifices for that. And so they appoint priests and Levites to ministry as in the book of Moses. Um, and so in, he's in the book of Moses, that's the Torah. And when you see the, the phrase, the book of Moses, uh, you can know that that's the Torah. And what the Torah is, is it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, it's the first five books of the Bible. Uh, you will also know that. Here's your theological term for that. It's known as the Pentateuch, pen being five. And so the first five books of the Bible, when they refer to the law or the book of Moses, and they're not just referring to um, a, a book. that They're referring to those books that he wrote uh, as a whole. And so they appoint them uh, to do ministry, and so we see a return to obedience, the obedience of God's Word. And listen, there, you cannot have success 
in your in your walk or in your ministry or in your life with the Lord without obedience to his word because that's the key and understanding it and understanding what it actually says not what we want it to say because there's a lot of things we all wish it said and there's some things we wish it didn't say uh, but we have to take it in whole not in part and so they go from this time of uh, returning, rebuilding, uh, dedicating the temple to a time of celebration. The temple was finished on Adar third. The following month, Nisan, not the car dealer, Nisan, the uh, the 14th, they ate the Passover meal. So Nisan would be January for us. So we move from December 3rd to January 14th. And they eat the Passover meal. And this was a reminder. The Passover, remember, the Passover was a reminderance of God's protection and deliverance. Uh, when they were facing what they faced under the, uh, the hand in Egypt, under Pharaoh's hand, and the harsh work conditions, uh, God was setting them free to go into the promised land. And so it was an exciting time. And so they're thinking back. When they, they had returned from captivity here and gone back to the land and rebuilt the temple, how appropriate is the Passover meal as God delivered them and set them free, come back as he set them free from Egypt. And so here we see the priests and Levites obedient to the ceremonial cleansing laws. And those who participated in the meal were those who had separated themselves from the impurity of the nations of the land. According to Zechariah, if you go over to Zechariah and read some of uh, what he has written to their hearts, they had evil ways and evil ideas to repent from to return to the Lord so he could return to them. And the folks that are participating here had done that. They had gone back, they had repented of the, the evil ways and the things that they had picked up that were not a part of what God had called them to and what God had asked them for. And so... Because they did that, they were able to participate here in the celebration of what God was doing. And so they observed the feast of the unleavened bread because the Lord had turned the heart of the king to encourage them in rebuilding. Isn't that interesting how they noticed the hand of God moving in those around them and in the king's heart as well. And so God is up to things all the time, folks. We often think that he only speaks to us, or He only speaks to those who are, are called to ministry. But let me tell you something. Uh, you are all called to ministry. You have a calling. The people in your life, your oikos, is your calling. And God has called them to you. And He will bring them in, and He will bring some of them out. He will bring people in your life who will be with you a lifetime, and He'll bring some people who will be there for only a season. And so as God brings those folks in and out of our lives, we have to remember those are our opportunities to love on them, to build them up, to encourage them, to laugh with them, to cry with them, to be there, to serve them, to let them consume the fruit that God produces on our branch uh, and for His glory and allow them to flourish in the ways that God called them, not tied to us, but tied to Him. And so that's the key. When we, our goal is to tie people to Him, not to us. And if if they unite with us, great. And if they don't, maybe they can catch us on a live stream. And we would love to have them. 
And so uh, it's an exciting time as we uh, as we walk through some of this together. So they they observed that they the feast was this feast, which is the unleavened bread, was celebrated through their journey through the wilderness, and they experienced God's provision for them. Now, haven't they experienced that here? Absolutely. All everything that they needed to rebuild the temple was provided from the king's money, and so. They're seeing it again. They're seeing the similarities of how God has worked in the past to how God will work in the future. And we too can draw lessons from that because how God works with us uh, and has worked with us in the past, He will work with us in the future. Now, He will work with different people different ways, but there will be a pattern that God works with you. And so pay attention to that as you begin to see Him. They actually saw the king's heart change as, a God, as God's provision for them. And so God can work. He doesn't work in just paint and mortar and brick. He works in hearts of people. And that's how these things come together. Through the hearts that God touches and speaks to and makes clear. And what He make, what makes sense to them is what God is up to. And God can do that. He can make the things that make sense, the things that we see, that we understand, and that uh, seem to be the right path forward, makes sense to us so that we grasp that and we move with him as he has already laid out the ground before us just as this ground was already set aside for them see the ground had already been taken by god they were just living in obedience to god during that moment and so what a cool moment in time where they come to this uh and it's now completed one of the big dangers you have when you feel like you've completed the task that God has given you is lethargy. And we will see as we move forward, as we move through God's word and some of the things that happen here, how that they combat those things and how um, God continues to work through this situation. But what do we take away from this? What do we take away from this message? What do we take away from this passage? Uh, what we, we learned three things this morning, I think. Uh, obedience is always easier than disobedience. You see, the enemy will always tell you that disobedience is a way to greater enlightenment, greater joy, more fun, more um, uh, of stuff for you. And how could there be more for us than God's, God giving His own Son? There's not more. God's not holy. If He didn't hold out His Son, He's not going to hold out anything else from you that you need when he calls you to ministry. And you've all been called. You are called to ministry. And so obedience is always easier. We, <laughs> he thinks, he, the enemy will try to think, make us think that obedience is harder. He, well, you can't do that. God is, you know, that's going to be tough. And that's difficult. And if you obey God, you're going to have to give this up. So not only do we go through the idea that it's harder, but we feel like obedience cheats us. Well, I'd be a Christian if you know I didn't have to give up all this stuff. Well, listen. Being a Christian means that you walk with God and there's nothing of value in this world worth holding on to compared to who He is. And so, but the enemy will lie to us and he will tell us that we'll be left out or that it will be left out of God's best. And so he'll mislead us and trying to take this away, just like he did Eve. Well, God isn't giving you the best. He's not giving you full knowledge. And he'll try to, and 
He'll use religious ways and means to try to cause us personal piety to walk in certain ways instead of resting on the power of the Holy Spirit as he leads us in the understanding of his, of God's Word. And so, that's one. Obedience is always, always easier than disobedience. Um, children, ask your parents. You know this. Obedience is always easier than disobedience. Two, there's a great joy in living by God's Word. When you choose to live by God's Word, you avoid both the earthly and spiritual penalties of sin. Because, see, there's both. We talk about um, how God has forgiven all our sins, and He has. But there's both earthly penalties and the spiritual penalties. Spiritual penalties have been dealt with. But if I were to rob a bank and pray for forgiveness, God would forgive me. But I still have earthly penalties to pay if I do that. And so we have to understand there's earthly penalties as well. But when I live according to God's word, I avoid both. I avoid both of those. So why wouldn't I do that? And so and there's great joy in living. Listen, uh, plus you get to enjoy the empowering presence of God as you live for him. And so we, folks, we need to choose joy because that's where joy is found. Joy is not found in having perfect circumstances. It's, it's found in serving a perfect God. And having that perfect God express Himself in ways that are perfect to the circumstance and situation. And we may not even understand what that is. But He does, and He knows, and He knows what's best for us. And so we have to trust Him in that journey. And so choose joy, folks. Don't choose to live outside of God's Word. Live in it. And thirdly, nothing is impossible if God asks you to do it. Have you ever said that to yourself when you felt like God led you and you go, wow, I can't do that? Have you ever thought that? Well, that's a great answer because you can't do it. And when God calls you to do something, he doesn't ask you to do it in your own strength. He calls you to be the one that he works through. And so when our calling is to not achieve something for God, our calling is to be in position to be used by God because of our walk with Him. And if He's calling you and wants to use you, that should be an encouragement alone to you about what God wants to do through you. And so what a great joy that is to be to participate with Him in that. The enemy will tell you, he'll tell you over and over and over, you're not enough. And the best thing that we can do is agree with Him. But the enemy never factors in that God is with us. And if God is with us, God is always enough. It is not about what we can do for God. It's about what God can do through us, whose hearts are completely His, laid out before Him, willing to serve Him without apprehension, without backup, without um, backing down, without fear, without uh looking for acceptance from the world, but looking for the joy of what it means to be in the moment, knowing that we don't know everything, but that God does. And so uh, it's an exciting time. You know, there was a Sunday school teacher who gave his, his young student a lesson. And they, they well, they gave, he gave the whole class a lesson. He said, um, I want you all to memorize Psalms 23. 
and we're going to recite it in front of the church next Sunday. Well, there was this one little boy, and he had trouble memorizing it. It was very difficult for him. And the, sure enough, next Sunday came along, and there he was in front of the whole church, and the teacher called on him. And he looked at the teacher, and he's sweaty, and he's nervous, as anybody would be, but he was more than most. And he said, God is my shepherd, and that's all I need to know. And so God, <laughs> this little boy, had it right. We need to quit trying to figure God out. We need to stop uh, negotiating with him and just trust him. If he's our shepherd... That's all we need to know. If he's leading, I know wherever he leads me is safe. I know wherever he goes, I'm going to be all right. I know if something difficult comes, there's a lesson there. He's giving me something through that. And so we need to be willing to accept what God has for us, whether it's a pleasant experience or an unpleasant, but look for the hand of God in both. Not just one or the other, but in everything, in all our ways, we acknowledge Him. And when we do that, we're able to see Him. We're able to see what He's up to. Amen? And so, what an exciting time it was for them. And it will be for us. And so, I want to thank you all for joining us this morning. Um, I would like to pray for you right now, if that's alright. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for all that you're doing in our lives and all that you're doing in the folks who have joined us here this morning. I pray for each and every one of them. Father, I pray that their flesh will decrease, that, Father, we know that there is no good thing that dwells in our flesh, and we cannot please God by our flesh. And, Father, help us to stop relying on it and help us to start relying on Him and looking to you. And, Father, we thank you for the love that you've shown us, for the relationships that we have with each other, for this opportunity that we have to still meet, even though that we are separated by uh, space, our hearts are not separated. Our hearts are one. They're united in you. And Father, I pray this week that you'll open our eyes to see the, the work that you're doing around us and the hearts of the people around us. And I pray that you will use each and every person here that are joining this morning, this week, in a really cool way, to touch and encourage other people in their walk with the Lord. Father, I pray for the lost that we all know. And Father, there's names that are running through everybody's mind right now of lost people. We have lost family. We have lost friends, co-workers. I ask you to save them. And Father, I ask, Father, that you will um, help us to reach out to them. Father, I, I pray that you'll bring them here to join us uh, in what we're doing uh, as far as service in, during this time and Father who knows what you can do with, with, with the circumstances you've given us. You put us here for a reason we're looking for your hand and we're excited to see what that brings. Thank you for this time we pray all this in Jesus name Amen